This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chicago's all-news station. News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A digital currency based on the popular Netflix series Squid Game has cheated investors out of millions of dollars. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, we'll talk about the Federal Reserve, expected to announce tomorrow that it's ending its bond-buying program, while a new survey tracks Americans' views on the economy. We welcome David Jones, the chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver. So... David, what's up on the Fed, and what do we need to know right now as we look forward to what they decide? Well, we're looking ahead to perhaps the most widely signaled Fed policy move ever uh, tomorrow, announced tomorrow. uh, The Fed will begin to trim or taper that heavy $120 billion in bond buying per month that it's doing now. Uh, There's a consensus that uh, it could start even as early as November, uh, that November announcement, um, probably starting around cutting back on that bond buying by $15 billion per month. If you do the math, that would leave us with no further buying by the middle of next year. I think there's a consensus among Fed policymakers that uh, that should be the time frame for ending that heavy bond buying, which was pumping tons of new money into the economy. So what should investors be doing now as we anticipate what the Fed's going to do and moving forward? Any advice? I think investors investors should pull back a little bit. Uh, We've had this spectacular bull market still running today uh, based on earnings But I think the Fed's going to change that environment. Uh, We'll start to see uh, interest rates move up, and we've already seen some of that in the 10-year Treasury bond yield hitting as high as 1.6%. It's backing off a little bit now, but uh, I think rates will move higher. I think that'll take some of the steam out of the stock market as we move ahead. And uh, I think people will be looking for perhaps out in the middle of next year for rate hikes to begin. So it's not going to be quite the favorable environment that uh, the bond and stock markets have been seeing up until this point. Well, what do Americans generally feel right now about the economy? Is, and is that any indication as to what we might expect going down the road in terms of such I things think, as Fed actions? Uh, I think there's more uncertainty about this economy. Um, uh, it, without trying to make a political statement, it seems that President Biden has just been making all the wrong choices. And uh, the idea of higher taxes and, and runaway government spending just is not the right solution at the moment. And so I think what we might see in this economy is higher inflation 
maybe even energy shortages this winter um, and, uh, and an economy that slows down in terms of growth but rises in terms of inflation, uh, that stagflation story is not a very good picture. That's David Jones, the chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver. Thanks, David, as always, for your expertise and insight into what's happening, especially with the Fed this week. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A squid game-inspired cryptocurrency has plunged to zero in what's being described as an investing rug pool. And to talk about it, we're joined by Bill Uliveri, the owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview. So, Bill, what's the story with this squid game cryptocurrency? Well, Squid Games is one of the most popular uh, watched show on Netflix. So uh, a group of developers, this team allegedly uh, created a token, a game, where you need to buy squid tokens in order to play, right? So the, the idea was that they were creating a cryptocurrency project based on the popularity of the Netflix show. And it's, it, it was a very quick slash in the pan where you could get in for uh, a few hundred dollars. But then at the high end of the range, it was in the trillions participating in a game that hadn't even really been created yet. It was just an idea, a project. So uh, what really happened is, you know, I hate to say investors got burned here, but certainly some speculators who are riding the train on meme tokens like Shiba coin and Dogecoin. I mean, they definitely lost some money, right? So I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pass the hat around for anybody here who lost funds in squid games because it really was a super fast way of speculating on a token based on the popularity of the game. Uh, you know, when I was growing up on the far Northwest side of Chicago, we had this Greek restaurant uh, that used to have this little billboard outside the restaurant. that would post all these little pearls of wisdom and one of them was common sense is not so common. So anybody who jumped the bandwagon, hopped on the Squid Games token, uh, you know what? I, I, I can't believe they're really, um, they didn't lose their retirement funds or anything, Jim. It was just, they just lost one at the wheel. You know what I mean? So what's the advice moving forward? It sounds like if, 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 you're, if you exercise common sense, this is the sort of thing you would not buy into. But just what lessons do we need to learn from what happened here? Well, it's, it's always buyer beware, right? I mean, you have to do your due diligence in, in equity stocks uh, and bonds as well as you do in cryptocurrencies. And you can you could kind of rest and, um, and have faith in the tokens that have been around for years, you know, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Cardano and some of the other tokens. Or you can buy these lottery tickets like Squid Games and Shiba Inu and other things that uh, you know, could evaporate very, very quickly. I mean, in this particular case, it was probably a scam, right? It wasn't a legitimate project. Uh, but, I, you know, you had to be a sophisticated speculator to even get your hands on this. It wasn't like, uh, you know, buying a stock on the New York Stock Exchange or over-the-counter market that just evaporated. You needed some sophistication to be able to convert your Ethereum and your other tokens to buy the Squid Game tokens. And so, again, you have to you have to be careful. I mean, you know, betting is one thing. Gambling is another thing. I mean, we never we never really expect to win the lottery ticket, but we still buy them. And these guys, in this particular case, they bought a lottery ticket of a meme token and they lost. And so, you know, let's let's make sure we view it for what it really is. And, and investors have to be aware and investors have to do their due diligence. And there was not even enough transparency in the five days that this thing had life. Like it had a super short life cycle. Um, so, you know, you just gotta, 
wait and see and, and don't be willing to bet more than you can lose 100% of. That's Bill Uliveri, who is the owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview. Always great advice, Bill. Thanks. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A volatile run-up is putting the spotlight on shares of Avis Budget. And let's get the latest on that from Michael Palumbo, the founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk here in Chicago. So what's going on with Avis Budget? Well, it all started with, a, and thanks for having me on, Jim, uh, again, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it all started with an Avis uh, earnings report that came out, and it was much better than analysts expected. So the report itself is bullish for the stock. Now, the reaction of it being up double in a day uh, would suggest that there's more to this than just good numbers. And um, there's a lot of short interest in the name, and that's probably also driving the movement. I mean, I, you know, I run a, a long, short portfolio, so we have many shorts in our portfolio, so we have to be very careful of these shorts. The old days, and, and I'm talking about not even 10 years ago, you'd have to, you know, you'd have to worry about a 20 or 30 percent move if you catch something wrong. Nowadays, these stocks double, and it's it's pretty crazy. I would suggest the individual investors to stay away from shorting and and, and focus on being long stocks that they like. What other lessons can we learn from this? I mean, obviously, any investment is a calculated risk, to use your own words. But in this particular situation, what's the what's the key thing to take away from this in order to make sure that it, you don't necessarily get burned by something like this? So you have to look at all information that, that, is, that, that is out there. One thing for sure is you, you knew Avis was going to have an earnings report. So that's, an, that's a, a, a day that you know the stock is going to move with news that will dramatically change assessments on the name. Now, you're not going to expect them to blow out earnings like they did, but you do know that that is going to be a day of volatility. And if you don't want volatility, you shouldn't have a position in that stock going into an earnings, okay? That's number one. Number two is, in this new environment, these stocks no longer move 20 30% of that. As I said, they double. So you have to make sure your cash management, your risk management is that, so that you can handle being wrong to that level. And that's even affecting hedge funds. I mean, hedge funds, and like our situation of family office where we have long short portfolios, we have to watch to make sure that these shorts don't blow us up because, uh, you know, they're no longer 20% moves. They're 100% moves in one day. So, you know, you, you have to watch for, for events that could cause a stock to run up, and the number one thing is earnings. And you have to look at the type of stock you're dealing with, and is it a highly shorted name where they could start a short squeeze if a news event happens to be very bullish. And that's exactly what's happened here. And look look what's going on. I mean, the stock's doubling. Um, it's, I, these types of things never used to happen, Jim, but they do uh, on a regular basis nowadays. And that's why we have you on on a regular basis. Michael Palumbo, the founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk here in Chicago. Thanks as always. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are a bit higher and we're joined by Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. And his website is macrotides.com. So, Jim, what's going on on Wall Street today? Well, I think we're seeing, Jim, uh, more of the same. There's a tremendous surge in option buying and mega cap stocks that has really been lifting the, uh, you know, the, the mega cap stocks like uh, Tesla, 
uh, Amazon, Microsoft, and so forth, and that's kind of pulling the rest of the the market up. Uh, the key point, obviously, is what the Fed announces tomorrow. And I think that is going to have a, an implication for the markets over the next several weeks. And how have the markets prepared for what the Fed is expected to announce tomorrow? <laughs> that's a great question because it's all over the map. But what's happening globally is short-term rates have jumped significantly. Uh, the Bank of Canada ceased their quantitative e easing program completely. Most people in the U.S. are expecting the Fed to cut the program by $15 billion a month. I think there's a good chance, Jim, that they'll go more than uh, $15 billion because they have to reclaim some of the credibility that they've lost over the last six months. Last December, their projections were that inflation, based on their measure, the PCE, would be 1.8%. In September, it was up to 42 So they've been dead wrong, and I think they need to do something to at least create the impression that they're standing ready to you know, fight the fight, if you will, uh, against inflation. If I'm right and the Fed's tone is more hawkish than it has been in quite some time, and especially if they go $20 billion a month instead of 15, I think that's going to shake uh, the financial markets, more the equity market than the bond market. Is it really just keeping an eye on what the Fed decides, or are there other things that maybe are not getting the attention that they should because of the Fed announcement this week that we should be looking at? Well, you know, again, I think that is a huge announcement. Basically, what we're at, Jim, is a point where the Federal Reserve is finalizing, if you will, a shift toward less accommodated monetary policy. And, you know, as we all know, for months and months, the stock market has been feeding off of liquidity, and the Fed is going to move to kind of pull that back a little bit. So I think that you know, uh, transcends just about everything else the market could be sit, uh, considering. Most of the earnings have come in. They've been good. Uh, the supply chain issues are getting worse, not better. Uh, these are all reasons why I think inflation is going to continue to be high into early next year. But the, the key point is what the Fed announces tomorrow. So obviously the word tomorrow is key on what people should decide. But any advice you have for investors at this point as we move forward, especially if either the Fed acts as expected or surprises us, which they've been known to do at times? At times they do. Uh, no, I think the main thing is, uh, to me, the market is remains in a bull market, and a pullback uh, is within the context of being in a bull market. So I think could the S&P pull back to... Uh, 4450 to 4500 on a surprise? Absolutely. It won't change the major trend. My expectation has been that after any pullback, we were going to eventually see the S&P rally to about 4900 and that remains the same. That's Jim Walsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. And again, you can check out Jim at macrotides.com. Thanks, Jim. Always Great to get your perspective on what's happening, especially on a Fed week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday, and this afternoon we're looking at reasons to head to Europe during the tourist off-season. And to talk about that, we welcome Angie Rice, the co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors. And the website for her is TravelBTA.com. So, Angie, why is the off-season a great time to go see Europe? And where specifically in Europe are the best places to go in the off-season? The off-season really offers something different. When we travel to Europe in the summer, we focus on warm weather, uh, sailing and cruising, where maybe you're swimming and spending time at the beach. But the, the winter months offers things like the Christmas markets and the ability to avoid crowds, which is fantastic. And I imagine, too, in some ways you can save some money when you go off-season versus uh, at the height of the season when you're combating not only uh, bigger crowds but maybe bigger costs. Correct. And air travel right now is a zoo. Most of you, if you check the news, you're aware of that. But typically speaking, when you're traveling in the off-season, the pricing is going to be more competitive for airfare and certainly for accommodations as well. So where are we seeing some of those great air deals right now? Or conversely, maybe not so much, maybe the air deals aren't so great, but maybe you can get great deals on lodging, that sort of thing. Right. I think it's advantageous to look for opportunities to bundle airfare with accommodations. That's where you tend to see some savings. And when you really are strategic, you really have to focus on what is it that you want to experience to create that mindset when choosing your destination. For example, I recently returned to Croatia and we sailed the islands. And most people think of that as a summer itinerary. But when we changed the mindset that we were going to be bundled in, in light jackets and, and uh, blankets, it actually created a really unique experience. Um, and we enjoyed it just as much. We spent more time exploring the history, riding bikes and hiking versus visiting coves and swimming. And you mentioned the fact that, you know, obviously during the height of the season, there's lots of people and you're going to be waiting in lines to get into certain attractions or certain cultural institutions, that sort of thing. What's the difference in that sort of thing about the experience you'll have when it's high season and the experience you'll have when it's the off season, if you're willing to, as you say, deal with a, maybe a little cooler weather, that sort of thing? You'll definitely avoid the lines in the off season and have the availability to um, enjoy some of the experiences. For example, let's take Tuscany. I was there in September spoke with one of the hoteliers and he explained to me that a lot of the properties that typically close for the winter season for a few weeks for a month are deciding to stay open and offering unique experience like private wine tasting, having the wine um, venue created um, more in a private setting. And so they're creating these specialty dinners. Those are things that typically haven't been done in the past, but they're going to continue with that trend because historically 
they've had difficulty maintaining their employees. And with the pandemic and, you know, work being shut down in the travel industry, they've done all this training in the last six to nine months, and they don't want to lose those people. So they're creating new experiences and reasons for people to travel to places like the countryside of Tuscany when typically that season shuts down. So it's neat to see these places um, kind of betting on a new type of tourism in the off-season. Angie, you just mentioned the fact that, you know, there are experiences that are happening that aren't typical because of the unique circumstances we're in. Is this something that people can find on their own or are they really better off maybe checking with a travel professional like you in order to find some of these unique events that they wouldn't otherwise? Right. I think when you're looking for something unique and that's different, that is newly created, a travel advisor is going to have relationships with the hoteliers and with, you know, suppliers and tour operators that are in destination. And so they're going to be the first to know. They're also going to make sure you're working with a vetted supplier. So the driver that picks you up, the tour guide that's, you know, taking you on a wine experience or taking you truffle hunting, that that is a um, reliable vetted tour guide and who's going to connect well with the party. For example, if you're traveling with kids versus traveling with adults, you know, you're going to maybe want a different personality. So we really um, believe that working with a travel advisor gives you the ability to um, entrust that you're going to have, you know, a better experience overall. That's Angie Rice, the co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors and her website, travelbta.com. Thanks, Angie. Some great tips. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Shares of Bloomin' Brands, the parent of Outback Steakhouse and other chains, are taking a tumble today. And let's find out why from R.J. Hadavi, the head of research at the foot traffic analytics firm Placer AI here in Chicago. So, R.J., what's going on? Yeah, the pressure we're seeing on the stock today is largely due to commodity costs. <clears throat> the company's predicting that next year food costs are going to be up 10% and that labor costs are going to be up in the mid-single-digit range. Obviously, that's going to weigh on the earnings power of the company. And, and so I think that's really the, the takeaway today, that, that you know, it's sadly for a lot of these casual dining restaurant operators who just weathered the storm in COVID, uh, the environment's not getting easier in terms of operations. And I have to imagine, too, it's tough for them because of all of these rising expenses uh, with supplies, with labor, with all of that, that a lot of the customers who are starting to come back in, they come back in, they look at the menu prices, and they get a bit of sticker shock. And I imagine that's dissuading some customers from making a return. Or is it? Are, are customers willing to pay a little bit more to in, have that dining experience? I think we're seeing that sticker shock. We uh, we saw a strong summer recovery, a lot of pent-up demand for uh, for casual dining. A lot of uh, restaurant chains that had survived saw uh, volumes and, and visitations reach back about where they were in 2019. But we've seen a retrenchment over the last couple of months. And now some of that is going to be because of concerns of the Delta variant. But uh, anecdotally, we are hearing that there is some pressure uh, because people are a little bit turned off by the um you know, the, 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 price, the menu prices. And, you know, typically what we see, too, is that um, we see food prices, the food at home, uh, the things you buy at the grocery store, the inflation between that and the food at, away from home, uh, which is the restaurant inflation, when that spread gets pretty wide, and usually it's, it's right around three or four points right now, uh, that's typically when people start shopping more and, and cooking their own meals and, and balking at some of the menu prices. So I think it's going to be a difficult environment for uh, a lot of casual dining operators when you throw on slowing foot traffic on top of these commodity costs issues. Uh, it makes for a difficult back half the year and start to 2022. 
And so what are we looking at, perhaps, in terms of as we get into the holiday season when there are times that we might be more likely to go out? And then as we head into the new year, as you mentioned, uh, what can we expect from the restaurant industry and and the uh, entertainment industry in terms of how they are expected to do? I, I think what we're going to see, uh, I do think the, the commodity prices and, and the subsequent menu price increases that we've seen, uh, I think that is going to have an impact on foot traffic at a lot of these casual dining chains. Uh, you know, a lot of them have implemented delivery programs, which I think will help. Uh, but that sticker shock has definitely been an eye-opener for, for a lot of consumers. So I think that's going to make for, for a difficult environment. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, too, I do think that quick service restaurants are continuing to do well. Um, they've, they've continued to drive a lot of traffic. Um, but ultimately, I think those restaurant chains that are able to keep prices low while uh, maintaining a um, you know upscale or at least a better than average experience, and some of that tied to actually you know paying a bit more for labor. Uh, it's not not cheap, but at the same time, I think that those chains that do that will have the best uh, in terms of sales results and visitations. That's R.J. Hadavi, the head of research at the foot traffic analytics firm Placer AI here in Chicago. Thank you, sir, for your insight. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.